Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. Ah, the glorious open road, cruising USA. The bags are packed, the cooler is stuffed with snacks, and your Game Boy Advance SP is fully charged. You're excited to see something new. This is the furthest away from home you've ever been. You're desperate to get an 18-wheeler to honk its horn for you. Does this feel oddly familiar? In America, the road trip is a rite of passage, a tradition passed down from generation to generation. And none of those experiences would be possible without the U.S. Interstate Highway System. Most Americans commute on one of these highways daily, but few consider what it takes to build the infrastructure itself. Primarily devised and influenced by President Dwight D. Eisenhower, the interstate is more than just roads that unify and connect our great nation. It's not just concrete, but a system that changed culture and industry in the United States forever, especially in the trucking and global logistics industries. The interstate highway system is arguably one of the greatest public works projects ever executed in this country. How long did such a behemoth task take to complete? How many roads were constructed? Who paid for it? How did it affect American culture and industry? And maybe most importantly, what's the friggin' coolest 18-wheeler out there? All this and more on this week's Past Gas, the history of the U.S. highway system and the growth of trucking. I'm eastbound down, sitting a biscuit, sitting on a biscuit with my wife. Yeah, I'm eastbound down, chomping on that biscuit, sitting on a biscuit with my wife. Truckers love biscuits, dude. It's they crazy. do, That's dude. why they, they sell do. them at all those uh, uh, country... Crate and Barrel? Crate, no, Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Yeah, Crate and Barrel's problem. different. Cracker Barrel's delicious but problematic. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a whip in the logo. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I do love some biscuits and gravy. I do love some biscuits and gravy, and I love playing that golf tee game while I wait for my food. Oh yeah, if with you the little ball with the uh-huh. tees, right? Yeah, golf tees, and it's like play alone check. You have to. Oh. Yeah, and if you don't, if you get four or more, which is bad. Yeah, you're an ignoramus. Yeah, you're an ignoramus. Hmm. And you have to work in the kitchen for six hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seems <laughs> no pay. 
That seems excessive. So play at your own risk. It's really kept their uh, business afloat, I guess. Yeah. Welcome to Pass Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. Hi, Nolan. <laughs> Hi, James. That's James Pumphrey over there. Toot, toot, baby. Toot, toot. <laughs> and the third voice you hear next to me is Joe Weber. Slime off of Biscuit's back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe and I were in Milwaukee last week. At yeah. Joe's parents' house. Wow. It was this is a, a big step for you guys. It was, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Milwaukee's awesome. Yeah, we met a bunch of cool donut fans. Yes. Yeah. And went to a Brewers game. We did. Played some disc golf. A lot of disc golf. You got into it. I am very into it. We're trying to go this weekend. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that for it's you. It's fun, man. It's cool. I love that for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to come? Hell no. No? <laughs> I got plans. Yeah, I do. you should. We it's, didn't even say what day, though. I plan both days. I really do. I honestly do. I yeah. told you about my plan. He's yeah. yeah. I'm on a staycation. That's right. <laughs> uh, I think you would enjoy it. I might. It's just I do like we're nice just, you're just walking on a, a you're sauntering through a, a beautiful area with your friends. It's a game that you can progress within one round where you're like, ah, oh, I suck, and then you make a good shot, and you're like, okay, mm. I get it. I'm more of a bar trivia guy. <laughs> <laughs> So if you guys want to do, there's bar trivia within the city limits of where I live. I used to go to bar trivia every Sunday, and we would win maybe like every fourth time. But for there was like a stretch for two months. Did where you get we sponsored? No, we didn't oh. get sponsored. But there's a stretch we didn't win for like two months, and we're like, what's going on? This new team, Quiz Christofferson, kept winning over and over. We found out one of the dudes was the trivia writer for Cash Cap. What? It's like, get out of here, dude. So get out of here, dude, you ringer. Yeah. It's like cheating, ass. dude. I mean, it's not cheating because obviously he's earned the right to know all that For stuff. For sure. But, but I mean, that's like, that's like, I don't know. What? Well, don't take your work home, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. if you do what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> yeah, so we're uh, talking about the interstate today. Uh, the, this episode was based on a suggestion from two different listeners, and we just want to give a shout out to Connor in Cleveland. Connor in Cleveland. Hey, Connor in Cleveland, you're Cleveland on the air. Connor. We got Cle <laughs> Connor from Cleveland. And John M. in Indiana. You guys should connect. You guys should hang out. We'll connect you. That's not too far, Indiana and Cleveland. I mean, Indiana's a big state, and they're not that close at all. It could be eastern Indiana. Yeah. Okay. I don't know geography. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe I'm not even a bartender. Also, Midwesterners guy. are like, <laughs> Midwesterners are like, oh, it's only a ten-hour drive. Okay, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Get in your uh, your conversion van. Play some video games in the back seat. Play that biscuit song you were talking about. Yeah, he's been down. I'm chomping on that biscuit. <laughs> Sitting on a biscuit with my wife. <laughs> Is this biscuit that you're sitting on a big biscuit, or you're yeah. like, okay. Big enough for me and my wife. <laughs> to sit on. But yeah. it's fresh, though. It's not Oh, yeah, it's steaming hot. We're burning our little booties <laughs> off. <laughs> big old buttery old Just biscuit. Pillowy biscuit. Pillowy. Mm. Mm. Now, I do want biscuits and gravy. Now, anyway, let's, uh, good, yeah. let's get into I forgot into to eat this morning. Jelly. Yeah. Before we dive into the history of the U.S. interstate highway system, or... Oosies. <laughs> <laughs> we will, from this point on, be referring to it as Oosies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's add some context for our global listeners out there. The Dwight D. Eisenhower National System of Interstate and Defense Highways, or the Interstate Highway System, is a network of controlled access interstate highways. That is a fancy way to say roads accessible by on-ramps that stretch between states. This system spans all contiguous 48 states plus Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. Its purpose is utilitarian. It was built to connect and move people, goods, and in the case of a domestic attack, the military. Good luck. Good freaking luck. A lot of traffic. Yeah, but good luck with a domestic attack. Good luck. We're ready. Yeah, you come at us, we're ready. Come at us, we're ready. We got roads to move all the guys around. <laughs> <laughs> this single collection of roadways is remarkable and impacts every single American daily. Except those guys living in the woods. Yeah, those guys living in the woods don't even touch the roads. They don't even listen to podcasts. No, they're just out there eating morel mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trapping rabbits. <laughs> Damn, that sounds good right now. <laughs> rabbit, roasted rabbit with morels. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, no. 
Now understanding that the interstate system is a little more than just a bunch of roads that link together, let's get into how it came to be. We're going to hop back in time to the 1910s. <laughs> well, oh, baby, what a very baby, what a baby. Elevator, elevator. Brand new thing called an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> America had roads at this point in its history, but the quality of the roads were very poor. Most of these roads were just compacted dirt or poorly maintained concrete, which to a measly Model T is a recipe for pop tires or broken axles. Aside from their quality, though, another issue of early American roads was their reach. Most roads at this point were designed to function around city centers to get people from their homes in town to buy goods and wares. These early road systems were not necessarily designed for broad travel. Actually, back then, broads weren't even allowed to travel. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Mild sexism? No. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't make the rules. I wasn't even alive back then. Right. I'm, not a, I'm not a vampire. <laughs> it, so it sounds like you're a vampire. I'm not. I am inclined to believe James on this. <laughs> water baby. Look at that baby. Water baby. Water baby. <laughs> Everyone wanted nicer roads, guys. People wanted to be able to drive to another state without a hassle. The problem was, though, who was going to pay for it? Who pays for roads? Us. Should it be handled on a federal level? Or should it be handled at the state level? Mm. Up until this point, most roads were being built and funded by states through property taxes, which explains a bit about the lack of interconnectivity. A state wouldn't want to build a road to another state. They'd literally be driving money away. Yeah, don't let people out. <laughs> Keep them in. So the state stalled out on construction, but people were buying more cars than ever. The Model T boom was putting more and more pressure on the government to do something about its roads. Wow. Ford really is influential, huh? Yeah. I just learned that they had the first recall ever. This might be a spoiler for our, mo our video coming out later, but they used cypress wood and Spanish moss to pad the Seat. seats. And they got that recipe, it. yeah, they got a bunch of bugs, so people Ooh, would bugs. sit on these. The bugs, I got bugs right now. That sucks. Your point about the women not driving earlier, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was like a moral panic about bicycles because that was like the first time that women could like leave the house oh, and travel around on their own without like male supervision, basically. And they tried to like cancel bikes. I love how every invention that ever came out, people thought it was like the end of the world. Like books, people are going to be reading all the time. Yeah, and the alarm clock industry when the iPhone was invented was like, no, <laughs> we don't have that radar noise. <laughs> we don't have the worst noise ever. <laughs> all right, all this pressure from people wanting to travel to other states eventually led to the Federal Roads Act of 1916, which provided $75 million over five years to match state funds for the construction and improvement of highways. Who pays for the roads, you ask? Well, it was the state and the feds. The American public seemed excited by these prospects, and this was considered a big step for American infrastructure. Unfortunately, though, it was never fully realized. Due to the revenue needs of World War I, some of the most significant implementations of the 1916 Road Act weren't executed. However, this bill created the groundwork for more federal funding in the future. At the same time, the First World War also created the groundwork for the trucking industry. Roads this, roads that, but what about trucks? <laughs> the truth is there wasn't much going on in the trucking industry before World War II. It plain just didn't exist. It's mostly trains, huh? Trains, planes. No, it wasn't planes. No, they don't use roads. They trains don't. don't use roads. <laughs> well, they no, trains don't use roads either. Yeah. I rode a train the other day. How was it? Magical. Union Station in Los Angeles is the worst place on the planet. It There's a section that looks really cool, though. It looks really cool, yeah. but I saw a guy in a wheelchair throw up in a urinal. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but that bar is cool. Tracks? I don't know, man. It was pretty rough. <laughs> Yes, the trucking industry did not exist, <laughs> mostly because the country lacked the road infrastructure to support it. There was already a pre-established independence on shipping goods with more traditional methods like a horse-drawn carriage, canals, waterways, or the ever-popular train that James mentioned. 
Most early trucks were just Model Ts with homemade DIY built trailers used to haul things locally. Like milk, I assume. Probably. They they loved it back then. Uh, they just couldn't stop sucking down that milk. Mm-hmm. Like me in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that was a thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time thing. I've since uh, pretty much stopped drinking milk. Good, it worked. Yeah. I think it did work. Like, I yeah. stopped drinking milk, and I lost, like, five pounds pretty, really? pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> is gross. Yeah. <laughs> I switched to oat milk. Oat, oat milk is great. Not good for you, but... It's not? No, it's God. really bad for you. What? Why? It's got all kinds of gums in it. Oh, gunk, like gunk tried your inside? You know, like, gums to, like, make it uh, Yeah, milky. like, creamy and milky. Yeah, so it's, like, gums, which aren't good for you, and oh. then it's also, like... Dude. Drinking a bunch of bread. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Almond man. milk's bad for the environment, but fine for you. Oh, man. I can't drink almond milk. No. I don't like almond milk. It's like water. Here's the thing. You don't need milk. Any kind. What do you put in your cereal? I don't eat cereal. I'm a grown-up. <laughs> what do you use as like I the liquid sticks. in like a craft <laughs> mac and cheese? I don't eat craft mac and cheese. I'm an adult. Oh, Damn dude. it! I eat Salisbury steaks. <laughs> <laughs> I smoke cigars. <laughs> I eat bitter soups. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Was it bitter soup? Uh, I don't know. A bitter hot soup. and sour. <laughs> I drink cod broth. <laughs> I'm a grown up. <laughs> only gross stuff <laughs> like most technology in the united states it was the wars that really pushed innovation and technology forward there was urgency to start making goods and vehicles for the war effort smaller car manufacturers started producing you know small transport vehicles kind of like jeeps troop carriers troop carriers and bigger equipment for the war a lot of these military trucks were very slow but powerful one of the more popular World War One trucks was the Liberty truck. Nice. The Jeep Liber Liberty. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the Liberty had a four-speed transmission with a 425 cubic inch L-head inline engine. So a 425 cubic inch four-cylinder engine making 52 horsepower. All the cylinders must have looked like Folgers cans. Yeah. Big, <laughs> big boys. This behemoth had a top speed of just 15 miles per hour. Oh boy. Another standout war vehicle we'll touch on later is the three-ton Militor truck. Militor. Militor is a sick name. Militor. Minotaur. Militor the Minotaur. After the First World War, the United States was able to refocus its construction and factory production back onto itself. The government had learned how important roadways were in the time of war and decided they needed a plan in case there was an attack on the U.S. soil. Good freaking luck. I'm ready. <laughs> so the government began to craft a suggested national highway and policy plan the first step of this plan was to survey how difficult a trip across the u.s would actually be to figure out exactly how much work would need to be done this was considered a better option than just matching state funds on July 7th, 1919, the Army sent an expedition from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco to determine the difficulties of this trip. The convoy planned to travel across the Lincoln Highway, a.k.a. the affectionately titled Main Street Across America. Hey, kid, you want to buy an onion? <laughs> <laughs> Since it was the first road to span across the country. This was a very ambitious 3,200-mile journey. The motor truck train was an 81-vehicle convoy consisting of a ton of cars, ambulances, tanker trucks, passenger cars with reporters, searchlight trucks, a five-ton trailer hauling a pontoon boat, and most notably, a few Militor three-ton tractor trucks. I remember this convoy had, like, a kitchen yeah, I bet this was fun AF. Yeah, this route uh, sounds really fun. Yeah. So it goes from New York to Philadelphia. Uh, there's a there's a branch that goes down to Washington D.C. to Chicago, and then over to Denver, Salt Lake City, and then ends in San Francisco. Only thing more fun than a road trip is a convoy road trip. I love mobbing with my. Boys. It would be very fun to do this trip in a Militor truck in like some Model Ts. Oh, God. Or vintage vehicles. <laughs> That'd be great. And we got to dress up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got to dress up and and talk as they did in the day. 
Yeah. And only listen to the music of the day. Water, baby. Oh, <laughs> did you hear the new Scott Joplin? There's a a murder mystery train. <laughs> Whoa. What? Yeah. It's a murder mystery dinner train ride. Like the Orient Express? Well, it's in California. And I'm gonna go I wanna go on it alone. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's ever come alone. <laughs> I'm gonna solve this case. I'm here. That's Just super fun. So it's like an escape room, but also a road trip. Well, it's like a murder mystery dinner. Yeah. But and you pick a character and you kind of have to commit to that character. I don't know the details. It'd be fun. Yeah. We should all go. But I heard about this haunted house where they beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sign a waiver. Yeah. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. If it weren't for the pure pulling power of the Militor tractor (laughs) truck, most of the convoy would be stuck in a ditch or sunken into quicksand, which is 100% a real thing. Uh, the convoy quickly learned that if something could break, it would. That sounds familiar, huh, Nolan? Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. currently filming a season of High Low, and cars break a lot. Cars do break. It's, you haven't even done anything to them, and they're Not, still breaking. Yeah. Yeah, nothing that's broken is like anything we've touched. We yeah. blew up a motor, brakes went out. I went off track yesterday at 80 miles an hour, and that was pretty scary. Yeah, it was Pretty spectacular. I got dusty. That was cool. Yeah, it's cool. Did I look brave? <laughs> it looked sick. I didn't. Even, I thought. It, yeah, it was like such a a big spin out that I was like, I thought Adam was driving or someone yeah. like oh, Joe wow. or Adam. Yeah, yeah sick. You hooked yeah. it. Yeah, I you, hooked it. James hooked it real hard. I kept I kept it straight too. Yeah, kept the wheel straight. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, we could have flipped. Okay, oh, so yeah. if Adam's wife is listening, you're freaking welcome. <laughs> Fan belts would pop, engines would overheat, tractors would fall into the mud and need to get towed out by the Militor. <laughs> the further west they went, the worse the roads got. One traveler on the convoy later said, Some roads out west were just a succession of dust, ruts, pits, and holes. <laughs> The convoy moved at a snail's pace because of these difficulties, and there were over 230 recorded road incidents. The worst day took place in the Great Salt Flats of Utah. Nolan, what's up? When quicksand got the best of the convoy, the quicksand was so bad that the majority of the convoy sank into the ground up to several feet deep. These sunken trucks had to be rescued by timber, rope, chain, tackle, and jacks. Tackle and Jacks is a great uh, Super Nintendo game. (laughs) 
Tech took seven hours to move just 200 yards. I'm gonna guess they just got into some of that briny, briny salt, briny and gooey goo. Yeah. I wonder if their tires were super skinny. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But on an average day, the convoy would move about 52 miles per day, and they eventually finished the cross-continental journey. I can do more on foot. No, you can't. I could do 50. 52 miles on foot. What's what's In a, a walking speed like four miles per hour? Is that's a that's pretty brisk. I walk twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doors. You guys, you guys want to go to lunch? No doors in my house. <laughs> Overall, it took sixty two days to travel just over three thousand miles, spanning eleven states. To put that into perspective, that trip would take about five days to accomplish on modern roadways. Since the convoy had made the journey to test out the roads for logistical purposes, they had to report back. Would the journey be doable for the military if necessary? The answer was fairly apparent. Absolutely not. The convoy had to constantly change its path to avoid broken bridges and roads that weren't wide enough for a single car to pass. They were built for horses. (laughs) While I was on the train, I, I saw two people riding horses on the beach. Oh. oh, that's majestic. And I was like, that is a way different lifestyle than I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Horse lifestyle, like, you have to really be in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, I don't think you can be, like, a casual horse person. No, the horse would die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After accumulating the data from the convoy, it was clear the U.S. needed to do something about its roads to invest in national security. Spearheaded by National Highway Commissioner Thomas Harris McDonald. The Federal Highway Act passed legislation in 1921. I love that guy's burgers. Over 100 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Jim. Much like the 1919 Act, this had federally matched funds up to $75 million, but this time it would be given Shop out change. annually instead of over five years. I spent that on lunch. <laughs> it's a lot of chalupas. But the biggest difference between the 1921 Act and the 1919 Act was 1921's focus on interconnected primary roadways between states. This caused a boom in road construction throughout the decade. The New York Parkway system is one of many of this bill's successes. I want to know how many listeners we have in New York City. Let us know. Everybody that's listening in New York right now, email Nolan at <laughs> Mrs. Harry Styles at gmail.com. <laughs> that's right. Yo, I'm listening here. <laughs> hey, your bagel sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Alongside the construction boom, more and more Americans continued buying and driving cars. In 1921, 61% of all cars sold were Ford's iconic Model T. City planners recognized that Americans loved driving and exploring new places, like their grocery store parking lot. Between local commerce and tourism, cities saw a growing need for an interconnected national highway system. And by the late 1930s, planning had expanded to a system of conceptual superhighways. Infrastructure continued to grow into the late 1930s, but with this boom came a bit of disorganization. It was a patchwork of state systems that weren't incentivized to build roads through their state connecting to other states. In 1939, under the order of one Franklin D. Roosevelt, the first formal description of the interstate highway system was created by civil engineer Thomas McDonald. Is that the same guy? That's the same guy. Now, there was a blueprint for an interconnected and cohesive road system. They just had to build it. Like the Road Act of 1919, this act would also be interrupted by war. It wouldn't be until after World War II that America could realize its new vision drafted by Roosevelt and McDonald. World War II may have stunted the growth of America's roads for a moment, but it catapulted the infant trucking industry forward. Trucks began to develop quite quickly because of the war effort and became more popular globally. New technology like inflated tires instead of solid rubber became standard. Air brakes were implemented. Synthesized rubber was invented. The fifth wheel, a specific type of trailer hitch, took over for its versatility and mobility. Now America was producing goods and sending trucks all over Europe because of the war. The standard truck as we know it was beginning to form. This was the slow birth of a dynamic industry, just waiting for the infrastructure to catch up to its recent advancements. 
If there was any American qualified to figure out the interstate highway system, it was a little man from the dime, Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> Remember that axle-busting convoy of 1919? Eisenhower wasn't just on that team. He was the lieutenant colonel who actually wrote the reports to Washington. He then went on to become Supreme Ally Commander of World, in World War II, where a majority of his duties were figuring out how to move troops and convoys through Europe. Then he became president. Ever heard of it? And then he was on the dime. <laughs> the smallest of all the coins. The smallest of all coins, but the third cheapest. <laughs> Eisenhower understood roads and knew that they weren't just for civilian use. He'd seen how roads can win a war. Eisenhower was particularly enamored with Germany's Autobahn, and ironically, truly thought the Autobahn won us the war. It was clear to him that if there was ever an attack on U.S. soil, that our infrastructure wouldn't support war efforts, so he decided to use the Autobahn as inspiration to build our roads. Eisenhower knew we needed better highways, not just for military use, but for economic growth. The decades before his presidency laid the groundwork for future roadwork projects, so Eisenhower's task became finding the political will and funding to finally turn this interstate highway idea into a reality. It took about three years of political finagling, but Eisenhower managed to do it. In 1956, the National Interstate and Defense Highways Act, better known as the Federal Aid Highways Act of 1956, was signed into law. The act dedicated $25 billion, $307 billion today, to constructing 41,000 miles of highway throughout the U.S. The federal government would pay for 90% of all costs and states would be responsible for paying the rest. This was unprecedented in two ways. The feds were footing most of the bill instead of just matching money with states and it was the first implementation of a federal gas tax. Mm. Thanks, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Biden's a lizard person? No. Do you believe in climate change? Yeah. Okay. I think he's reanimated dead guy. Oh, okay. Okay. I think there's like a little alien in his head, like in Men in Black. <laughs> okay. Like a little ratatouille? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard that his head has a toy in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the monkey with yeah, it. Like one of those kinder chocolate <laughs> eggs. <laughs> the federal gas tax was a very progressive idea for funding at the time because as i said earlier until this point roads were previously paid for with property taxes now it was important that there be some uniformity to the system they were the basic requirements each interstate highway was required to be a freeway with at least four lanes no at grade crossings and no stop signs a 50 a 50-mile-per-hour minimum speed limit was agreed on, and the maximum amount of grade was set at 7%. The folks in charge also came up with a universal labeling system so the roads wouldn't be confused with one another. So we got the 10, the 405, the 5, Highway 64, 80, highway, 94. Inter, highway 66, Route 66, 101. the 1020 uh, the time. <laughs> The major roads would be two-digit numbers, north to south ending with an odd digit, east to west ending with an even digit. Oh. Hmm. East, even. Wow. North, south, odd. <laughs> <laughs> solid, very solid plan. Good plan. Surprising, because it's from the government. Oh. Got them. Take that. They had cash. We're subversive. We're subversive. We're Joe Rogan. <laughs> They had cash in hand. Now all they needed to do was get to building them roads, baby. Because the design standards were so simple, construction began right away. Three states, Pennsylvania, Kansas, and Missouri, all claim to have had the first completed stretch of interstate highway. But Give it up, guys. Yeah, get, grow that's, up. That's a boring thing to claim. Yeah, grow up. Get a life. But Pennsylvania has official recognition as the godfather of the interstate. <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> 
<laughs> However, despite the simple design standards, the construction wasn't without its challenges. This is a project that spanned over decades, which means the construction and labor costs often rose with inflation over the years. Luckily, both the government and the public were convinced that this was an investment worth completing. The project continued to find funding and move toward completion. Uh, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I was in southern Arizona uh-huh. a little bit ago. Near Hot. Tucson? Tucson. Yeah, Hot. south of Tucson. And Ooh, south of Tucson. There's a, like a 20-mile stretch on, I want to say, the 19. Yeah. That every, every road sign is in kilometers. Oh, weird. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, we tried to switch at one point. And that was like the test one? Maybe. And everyone was like, uh, I'm not driving to England, you idiot. <laughs> they use miles, though. Sorry. A lot was accomplished in the first four years of road construction, so much so that it literally paved the way for trucks to cruise into the mainstream. Literally paved. Get it? Got it. The addition of trucks started shifting economic possibilities for America. This interconnectivity quickly led to trucking becoming the main method of transporting freight. Take that, trains, even though trains are sick. Trucking was cheap. It was efficient. It was quick. It even gave people living in remote areas access to fresh fruits and vegetables. This was due to transport entrepreneur Malcolm McLean's invention of the modern containerized intermodal shipping method, which would transport cargo between trains, ships, and trucks. Without kiss them, kiss them for short. Kiss them for short. Without McLean's contributions to the logistics industry, trucks wouldn't have risen in popularity so quickly. At the beginning of the 60s, Americans became more and more dependent on trucks, and production went into overdrive. The major players in semi-truck production were, and continue to be, Peterbilt, Kenworth, Freightliner, and Mack. Mack. The early 1960s were dominated by Kenworth and their K900 truck, later renamed the K100. It sported a standard tilt hood that would fold away from the front of the truck, exposing the engine. These early trucks had some substantial power with some boasting over 250 horsepower in their machines, but a lot of them got dismal gas mileage. We're talking two to three miles per gallon. I can max. relate. Probably so much more torque, though, than 250. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The success of the K900 was threatened in the mid-1960s when Ford introduced their H-series model line. Uh, this was a cab-over-engine-style truck, so one of those stubby-looking guys. Yeah. The driver sat over the engine in an extremely tall cab, often referred to as two-story Falcons. What? Why was it so tall? <laughs> it included an upper area referred to as a sleeper cab. Sleeping areas in trucks are nothing new, but you can sleep in the driver's seat if you want. But this was the first time that park, the design first. Yeah, park first. But this was the first time that the design was driver centric. Designers were no longer just considering technical specs like load capacity and gas mileage, but the truck driver's experience as well. By the end of the decade, if a truck was on the road in America. It was either a cab over engine style with a short, tall nose or Kenworth's standard style with a long dog-like snout. That's a good way to put it. Semi-trucks continued to be more powerful and more efficient throughout the decades. However, improvements felt like they came few and far between because trucks were built simply. That's probably the best feature of these older trucks. Repairs were super simple. There's no complex computerized diesel engine or wonky emissions system. Boo, we like dirty air. Boo, chug along. Yeah, chug and chug. <laughs> A backyard mechanic could work on these big old bad boys. By the 70s, trucks were officially part of the American culture. The government created basic regulations and standards for the trucking industry, which legitimized the trade and encouraged people to become truckers. It was an extremely viable career in those days. Truckers were the new cowboys. Yeah, dude. There's music about truckers. Yeah. TV shows about truckers. Instead of herding cows, they're herding movies about uh, truckers. Truckload of toilet seats. It was trucker media, Joe. All in all, the 60s and 70s were the time to be a trucker. Yeah. One could make a handsome living, be protected by a, a union, and get to take in the beauty of America all while getting paid. Jimmy Hoffa. Pretty big stacks. <laughs> it was a sweet gig. Until the 1980s when the government changed the trucking industry forever yeah. those freaking dillweeds <laughs> they gave us roads and then they are dillweeds to us <laughs> Do you know that james cameron was a truck driver when he wrote terminator oh hell yeah and he when he sold it uh they offered him a million dollars but he turned it down and took one dollar and then with the exchange of he got to direct it 
Wow. <laughs> it worked out. You got back in a bit. Yeah. Back I love James sure. Cameron. He's one of my favorite directors. The uh, Abyss, check it out. Supposedly a huge asshole. Yeah, big old yeah. ass to yeah. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, supposedly it's a pretty big dillweed. Everyone in Hollywood's talking about it. <laughs> it's on the cover of all the trades. <laughs> <laughs> a trucker magazine. <laughs> James Cameron, big old dillweed. <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. With every boom, eventually comes a bust. <laughs> the root and toot and new frontier of trucking came to a screeching halt when President Jimmy Carter signed the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. This promising bill intended to deregulate the trucking industry and remove federal control in interstate trucking. This made it easier for companies to reduce rates and ultimately improve systems for consumers, shippers, and truckers. Truckers rejoiced as the government was no longer in control of trucking. Once restrictions like weight, load, trailer length limit, and driving hour limits were removed, it seemed like an opportunity to carry heavier loads and make more money. And take more speed. Yeah, do more meth. Get more <laughs> lot lizards. <laughs> yeah, when do we get this, this section on lot lizards? <laughs> Unfortunately, everyone forgot a critical piece of this deregulation puzzle. Free market capitalism often prioritizes earnings, not people. Well, I mean, there's no evidence to that. No, I only shot 16 videos this week. <laughs> deregulation eroded one of America's strongest blue-collar careers. Suddenly, any individual could now apply and receive an operating authority, which is essentially a license that allows you to drive a commercial vehicle and transport goods or people for hire. Well, you shouldn't be transporting people. Oh, I guess a bus? Or people in coffins. It's fine, I guess. I got a truckload of people in coffins. <laughs> I got to deliver. You got a truckload of coffins. <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> It's an open air trailer. <laughs> you Vultures know. are following me. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of cats following me. <laughs> you no longer needed to get hired through a trucking company to acquire a license to drive commercially. An influx of new drivers created flooding in the market. This caused freight rates to plummet. Now independent, trucking now, independent trucking companies were competing with each other to offer the cheapest freight prices possible just to ensure work. There were so many drivers, the only way to stand out was to be the cheapest. Consumers benefited from this a bit, but the real people who benefited were the shippers. Volumes increased. Shipping increased. But at the end of the day, the payment for truckers didn't increase. Mm. Some reports say a fraction of truckers made the same money in 2014 that they were making in 1986. Ooh, yeesh. For example, a trucker in 2014 made an average of $39,520 a year. The average Teamster in 1982 was making, and this is adjusted for inflation, around $43,200 oh, a year. jeez. That's tough. Man. Thank you, truckers. Thank you, truckers. That's a tough job, man. They don't get treated very well i'm sorry as we transition a lot lizards treat him pretty good okay let's <laughs> as we transition to talking about the 90s let's check in on the status of the interstate which was mostly finished by the end of the 80s while the easier sections of the interstate were completed the more difficult and expensive parts were the last to get built the very last bit of the highway was a 12 mile stretch in glenwood canyon nestled high in the mountains of colorado the completion of this road was an engineering marvel that cost a total of $960 million when adjusted for inflation. I think I've been on that. That was one of the first road trips I went on to Estes Park. Ooh. Finally, by 1992, two decades after President Eisenhower died, the interstate was complete. But how much did it cost? Instead of the proposed $25 billion over 12 years, the project cost $114 billion and took 35 years. Wait, Eisenhower died in 1992? What? Two decades after, in 72. Oh, okay. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I feel like he died the second he wasn't president. <laughs> 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 the old guy. However, I, I think that price is well worth it. 
Um, thanks to that interstate, a trip that once took 62 days now only takes 42 hours. The completed interstate highway system stretches a whopping 47,622 miles and includes 10 transcontinental routes with some sections of road over 3,000 miles and some as short as 12 miles. We should get 10 cars and take all 10 routes and race. <laughs> okay. I bet some of them are longer. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> you drive start. faster. Now let's get back to those truckers. Okay. Despite the completion of the interstate, the American trucker continued to bleed out through the 90s. In fact, the effects of deregulations are still being felt today. These days, if you want to be a trucker, there are still some inherent startup costs. There's licensing, classes, insurance, and, of course, the truck itself. This is a high barrier point of entry. What companies have begun to do, though, is offer to pay for potential new employees' startup costs. Sounds good, right? Free school and free documentation? That's pretty sweet. But in return for the initial investment, new drivers must agree to drive for the company for a certain amount of time, usually a year or two. And this is where they get you. Most new truckers end up losing money despite having the initial cost taken care of. The cost of living and eating on the road outweighs their wages. It's unsustainable. So eventually, nearly half of all new truck drivers quit in their first six months. Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. Here's the thing, though. If you're a new hire and you break your contract, you get slapped with a ton of fees. So new drivers are stuck between paying thousands of dollars in fees back to the company or continuing to lose money driving for them. These are scummy fucking companies, man. Scummy fucking companies, man. Evergreen, if you're listening, come at us. You don't want to. <laughs> I freaking dare you. I know Swift is a trucking company that has a lot yeah. of turnover. They hire a lot of people. Uh, they're like kind of the Amazon of, of trucking, I think, is a fair comparison. Like they'll just hire you very quickly and work you to the bone. Sheesh. Yeah. These days, you'd be hard-pressed to go a week without hearing about some supply chain issue, inflation, or worker shortages on the news. But it's important to note that when it comes to worker shortages, it's not because people don't want to work. It's because the industry doesn't provide a sustainable wage for its workers. It cannot be overstated how integral the trucking industry is to our daily lives as Americans, and these drivers should be treated fairly. Yeah, there's a reason that you're able to get shampoo tomorrow. <laughs> you can get it today. At the store. I'm talking about. Are you overnighting shampoo? <laughs> <laughs> Don't count my money. <laughs> Are you pocket watching, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> the Federal Highway Act truly was America's greatest investment. I think the children were. <laughs> <laughs> we don't invest very much in them. The Federal Highway Act truly was one of America's greatest investments. Financially, it's a success. For every dollar spent building the roads, it's made $6 back. It molded the America we know today. It created car culture and influenced culture beyond the road. It created drive throughs Huh? You don't have to get out of your car anymore. It created road trips. It created rest stops, roadside attractions, hotels, motels, Holiday Inn. Ooh. It created toilets that the are in your car. Huh? On your seat. It created seat toilets. <laughs> yeah, if it weren't for interstates, we wouldn't even need seat toilets. <laughs> and there would we, where would we be? Then where, where would we be? <laughs> huh? Huh? Where would we be, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> he created new jobs, new industries, like the seat toilet industry. <laughs> so the next time you eat a juicy orange or let kale rot in your fridge, think about how it got to you. The decades of planning, the dedicated folks who laid the concrete, and the truckers who spend long days out on the road to keep society running. It's true. Think about it. Thank you, Don't truckers. Don't just eat that orange. I love getting just a big thing of chard. Chard, Swiss chard, and yeah. then letting it wilt? No, just eating it raw. You eat Swiss chard what? raw? Oh, yeah. You just... animal. <laughs> Not even with dressing? You can't eat. I don't think no. you think you can digest yeah, you that. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta cook it down. It's very tough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a nice tomato sauce, chard, okay. garbanzo beans. We got some beans. fan mail. That's good stuff. That's great. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, subject line: Joe has angered the great Roman uh, uh, Empire. Uh, oh. What did I do? Con here's some context. Uh, Joe said, "Ancient Romans come at me," in our leaded gas episode. 
and he got a response. So Joe, uh oh, what the? Yeah. It's all in Hell? Latin, but they were nice enough to translate our pipes. I want to. I want to hear you say it in Latin first. Though. Fistule nostre com vinenu septe tute erant. No, I feel like if I finish this, a ghost is going. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna cut to the translation. Our pipes were sealed with poison to make them safe. We were not mad as a what. No, I want to own up to, if I made a mistake, I'll own up to it. I'll read it. So this curse on me reads, our pipes were sealed with poison to make them safe. We were not mad as a leader, but we collapsed because of the greatness of our great empire. It is very insulting and insulting to (laughs) describe us Romans as insane and you will hear from my lawyers. And that's from okay. Jack. Thanks, that's from Jack. ancient Roman like a, Jack. You sound like a real Roman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you'd like to get in contact with the show, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. We love getting your emails, especially if they're in Latin. Yeah, especially if they're in Latin. That's you know right. what? I'll stand by Joe. Ancient Romans are insane. They had vomitoriums, which actually <laughs> sounds pretty sweet. I eat so much food, you puke and you go eat more. I heard that that's a myth that they... The the vomitorium is where they threw up. Oh. Well, that's cool. Anyway. I saw a guy in a wheelchair throw up in a urinal. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> that's the real vomitorium. Hey, follow the boys at James Pumphrey, at Joji Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. Big thank you to our producers, as always, Christina Felsky and Gavin Kinzel. And our writer, Jacob Wasaki. What's yes, up, yes. Wasaki? What's up, Wasaki? Chucking them discs, boy. We also have another podcast called The Donut Racing Show. We talk about Formula One. Uh, I'm on the show. Uh, the lovely Alanis King and Elizabeth Blackstock are on the show. They're very smart and funny. Uh, if you like Formula I'd One, say smarter than you. they're definitely way more qualified to be on the show than I am. I'm just the guy that talks. <laughs> I offer color. Yes. Great. Yes. You're the me of that show. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Uh, the, b- 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 tell a friend about the show. See you next time. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.